in order to be a good leader, you need to start with understanding yourself. And that starts with the mind. And then you need to be able to, from there, understand the mind of your people. And from that, only then can you really be able to understand the culture and be able to best lead your organization. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast. I'm Marcel Schwantes, executive coach, speaker, Inc. contributing editor and creator of the From Boss to Leader program. Glad you're here. Please share this episode with hopefully someone in a leadership role, because this is a podcast about business leadership. And hey, if you like today's show, would you do us a quick favor? Go to iTunes and drop us a positive review and five-star rating. We would be grateful for that. So in case you haven't noticed, leadership is hard these days. You know, if you keep up with current events, it can feel as if the world as we know it is coming apart, right? So this is really testing the will and the spirit of people in leadership roles. But in hard times like these, leaders need to keep making those hard decisions, you know, giving tough feedback and making difficult choices. And yeah, you know, some of those choices are going to disappoint people. I mean, who likes to lay off employees? But hey, in some cases, that's what leaders need to do, right? Leading is hard. So how do you do the hard things that come with the responsibility of leadership, you know, making those tough calls while remaining a good human being and and bringing out the best in others, you know, the caring part of leadership. Most people think we, you know, we have to make a binary choice between being a a good and kind person or, or, you know, being a tough, results-oriented, effective leader. Well, my returning guest today says that this, however, is a false dichotomy and that being human and doing what needs to be done are not mutually exclusive. In truth, doing hard things is often the most human thing to do. Jacqueline Carter will join us shortly to talk about her new book, Compassionate Leader, How to Do the Hard Things in a Human Way. Jacqueline and her longtime co-author, Rasmus Hugard, looked at data from thousands of leaders and employees and companies in nearly 100 countries to find that when leaders bring the right balance of compassion and concern for people with getting things done, well, they foster much higher levels of employee engagement, performance, loyalty, and well-being for their people. Jacqueline Carter is a partner and North American director for Potential Project. I'm a huge fan of their work. Potential Project is a global research, leadership development, and consulting firm that partners with leading organizations to uncover the power of the mind, how it is wired, and and how to rewire it for new behaviors and different outcomes, which is what we're all about here. Jacqueline is a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and Leader to Leader. She's also the co-author, also with Erasmus, 
of The Mind of the Leader. And I featured Jacqueline on the show back in episode 31, where we dove into The Mind of the Leader. So please check that out as well. And Jacqueline Carter now joins us. Welcome back, friend. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So last time you were here, man, that was, uh, I want to say what, almost probably three years ago now, but we have new traditions since then. And one of those traditions is to kind of get to know our, our guests and how you arrived at your whys. So here's our intro question. You ready? I'm ready. Go. What's your story? I would say, so I love that question. And I would say that, uh, so I'm a big superhero fan, Marvel, you know, DC, all of that. And if I had like, if they did a a backstory in terms of my journey, what it would be, it would come down to, there was one moment where I was a consultant for a large organization and there was a leader who was leading a massive change. And that change to include all the kinds of things that we see on a regular basis. You talked about how hard leadership is, downsizing, all of the different aspects that are challenging for leaders. And he stood up in front of an audience of 300 people and delivered a presentation that I had meticulously prepared for him. And he passed out. And in that moment, what I found out after we you know, made sure that he was okay and, and, and tried to, to get him the support that he needed was that what was wrong with him was there was nothing actually physically wrong with him. It was that he was overwhelmed, overworked. And although he had a lot of support around him, he wasn't taking care of himself and his body just collapsed. And for me, it was this moment where I realized that the work, my passion is around organizational behavior and change and also understanding and managing the mind. And what I realized in that moment was that I wanted to be able to bring these two things together and talk about the mind and talk about how we can change behavior from understanding our mind to be able to make sure that no other leader passes out on a stage, at least not while I'm (laughs) around. So that's my why is really helping leaders to be able to be their best versions of themselves, just like you talked about in the intro. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. So before we talk about compassionate leadership, I've brought other guests to 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 really, you know, talk about the, about this very topic, but you guys have some amazing data. I want to I want us to kind of revisit Mind of the Leader, your your previous book. And so give us a, a brief review of it and let's see if we can connect the dots between now and then. I mean, how would you summarize what you found in the Mind of the Leader? Yeah, so basically what we looked at in the mind of the leader is that in order to be a good leader, you need to start with understanding yourself, and that starts with the mind, and then you need to be able to, from there, understand the mind of your people, and from that, only then can you really be able to understand the culture and be able to best lead your organization. And we also looked at three core qualities that we believe are critical to success for leaders today, which is around mindfulness, which is about being present, being able to be here now. It's around wisdom, which is around making sure that we are not letting our natural egoistic tendencies get in the way. And it's also about compassion, uh, which is about the intention to be a benefit. Which there is your segue right there from that linking the first book to the current book. Exactly. Yeah. And and really what we found, and, and as you said, you know, three years ago, a lot has changed, we know, in the world. And one of the things that we found after launching The Mind of the Leader was that so many leaders were struggling with doing those hard things, but doing them in a human way. And this really intrigued us to be able to dig deeper into this aspect of compassion and really be able to fundamentally answer that question is how can we as leaders do hard things in a human way? And also to ask the question you said from a data perspective is, 
you know, does being a jerk, is that sometimes a good thing? Is that actually what helps us get the kind of results that we need? And so that's really where we, you know, dove in. We interviewed over 350 C-suite executives. We assessed data, over 1 million data points from 75,000 leaders from around the country to really get into that simple yet powerful question, how to do hard things in a human way and when we do, what are the results? Okay, let's let's dive a little deeper on, on, on the data and really geek out on this for a couple of minutes. Okay, so listeners that are not into this, please just <laughs> bear with us because uh, this is, I, I love this stuff. So talk about, give a little more insight on the data points. You already mentioned how many uh, executive interviews with CEOs? 350? Yeah, so 350 C-suite executives and over 1 million data points. And we partnered with Harvard Business Review and we also partnered with Forbes. Uh, we also partnered, I should just give a shout out to a number of different academic institutions. We really wanted to make sure that with that data set that it was really very rigorous. So Harvard Business School, Columbia Business School, Berkeley Haas, University of Management from Toronto and Amsterdam Business School, all partners in terms of us helping to really be able to assess the data points. And one of the interesting things that we looked at was not only interviewing leaders themselves and getting their feedback on how to do hard things in a human way, um, but also doing 360 assessments. So also getting data from their followers, which was where the real interesting aspects of the data came. Through. Mm, interesting. So if you haven't caught on to the theme yet, we're trying to answer the question, how do we as leaders do the hard things in a human way, right? Um, which is kind of the premise of the book. So let's talk about, well, what did you find when you, you know, when you sift through the millions of data points? And I have a specific questions, but I, I want you to tell us what what's a good starting point for you. Yeah, well, I would say first thing that we found, which was really inspiring, and it was our hypothesis, but it was also really inspiring to, to see that in the data, is that not only is it possible to do hard things in a human way, but when we do, our people thrive. And, and that was really cool. And they not only thrive in terms of having reduced levels of burnout, uh, but they also thrive in terms of having higher job performance. So really being able to you know, address what I think so many leaders are challenged with today, both better well-being and better performance when we're able to combine doing hard things in a human way. Yeah, yeah. So is it safe to, I don't want to get let the whole cat out of the bag. Maybe we can let half of the cat out of the bag, but because there's two sides here of this kind of leader that leads to the, the effectiveness to do hard things the human way, the right way. But one of those, I mean, obviously compassion pops up as, as a clear indicator of, of these high-performing leaders, right? I'm curious about when you're rated high on compassion, we are it seems like we have been on a constant stress ride since March of 2020. So how does being rated high on compassion help with our stress and anxiety levels, which have been off, off the charts? Yeah, well, well, and it's what's really interesting is being rated high on compassion is not only good for our own personal stress levels, and I think that that's really important. So when, you know, it feels good to be good, it feels good to be able to care. One of the things, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later when we dive into it, but one of the things that we found is it's also important not to care too much. And, and again, that's something that I think that we can shift into a little bit later. Um, but what we find is that leaders that are able to bring that balance of, of healthy compassion to the table have so much better personal um, reduced levels of stress, reduced levels of burnout, reduced level of risk of turnover for themselves. Right. 
Okay, so if you're a longtime listener, you already know this because we have covered it with uh, other authors and other research that compassion or people that lead with compassion has uh, a positive effect on employee engagement, productivity, uh, and, and just the, the overall well-being of employees. They just come to work, you know, ready to contribute at a high level, right? So what did you find uh, related to those, those terms? Yeah, absolutely. So what we looked at uh, when we looked at the benefits and from a data perspective in terms of bringing compassion to the table, you know, such, you know, two times better job satisfaction, two times greater org commitment, greater job performance, decreased levels of burnout, higher satisfaction with a leader as well as higher job engagement. So kind of across the board from a data perspective and metrics, really incredibly positive results. Yeah. Okay. So here's where I want to drop drop in the, the we're going to drop in uh, another player in this drama and bring in wisdom right and so now the plot thickens okay because you guys you and Erasmus and and the study that you did says that when you combine wisdom and compassion in your own words Jacqueline the real magic happens and so I, I want to know what exactly does that mean okay so I'm I, I'm at the edge of our seats here, wondering. Okay, what now? The two combined together. I mean, talk about Marvel and DC. Are we talking about like having those two now? It's like the Avengers coming together. <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think what what's really encouraging, and I think that this is really important to be able to just level set just really quickly around just defining simply wisdom. What we mean by that. And the way that we look at wisdom is it's knowing the right thing to do and also having the courage to be able to do it. And one of the things that we often look at when we talk to leaders about this, there are many leaders that are smart. Being smart is you have the answer to the question. Being wise is knowing when not to give the answer to the question, to be able to allow the other people, the team, to be able to speak up. And the other cool thing about the data, when you combine those things of wisdom and compassion, it kind of makes sense, like you were saying, that, yeah, okay, you know, of course, a compassionate leader is going to have higher job engagement. You know, I would want to work for a compassionate leader. But what was, I think, really exciting, what we found in the data is that employees also want to be on a winning team. They want a leader who is making those tough decisions, even sometimes if they don't like the outcomes, but they respect the person. They want to see those results. They know that that's going to be better beneficial for them in the long run. And so I think it was really interesting for us that it wasn't just compassion that was important. It was also wisdom. And to drive that a little bit further, again, to maybe make it even simpler, it's one of the things that we looked at in terms of that successful teams, it's the quality of our interactions, which is the compassion, but it's also the quality of our actions. Are we running good meetings? Do we have a good strategy? Are we driving the results? And we need both of those things to feel like, hey, I'm excited to come to work today because it's going to be a day where I can contribute and I know that my leader has my back and is also helping us to drive in the right direction. Okay, so is this accurate? To do hard things in a human way takes both wisdom and compassion, but it needs to be balanced, right? All right, so let's put some... um, Let's put some meaning behind terms because wisdom can mean a lot of different things to to several people. So you already said it's not necessarily being smart, right? So how will I know when I'm practicing wisdom? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And it certainly isn't necessarily, I mean, it is something that we cultivate over time, but essentially what we saw in the data is that wise leaders 
have humility. Wise leaders know they don't have all the answers and are not afraid to ask questions, are not afraid to say the simple words, what do you think, right? To be able to, to be able to bring out the best of the team. You know, the arrogant leader is the one that thinks they have all the answers. The wise leader, as I said before, is the one that's able to bring together the greatest potential of the team. But it's also around, you know, being ethical, you know, being able to do the right things and and using your judgment and using your ability to be able to tap into your network, you know, not feeling like you're in this alone, to be able to tap into other resources and and to not be afraid to get tough feedback when you when you fall down. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering how closely paralleled is wisdom with emotional intelligence? Because a lot of the things that I'm hearing you describe, I would even venture to put into one of the quadrants of self-awareness, which falls under EQ. EQ is absolutely one part of wisdom, but there's another part of wisdom, which is really diving into understanding our ego and understanding how our ego gets in the way. I mean, it's our ego that gets in the way when, you know, somebody gives us negative feedback and we don't want, we don't want to look like we don't have all the answers or we don't want to be embarrassed in front of the rest of the team. And so a lot of the work that we do with leaders is really diving into understanding your fears and understanding the things that hold you back understanding you know why it is that you don't want to be vulnerable what and that really comes down to that ego that wants to protect us um, that really oftentimes closes us off from being able to be a more authentic accessible leader so it's it's eq plus right okay good as they say your ego is not your amigo but that's yeah. someone else's uh, line not mine yeah. okay time that's to get practical <laughs> yeah yeah um so let's get practical and so I hope you guys have your notebooks out because um, Jacqueline and I are about to embark on how to become a wise and compassionate leader. So we're going to unpack some of the principles that they that they suggest in the book or a mantras of wise compassion. And we'll do that after a quick break. Hang tight. Hey, leaders and managers, Marcel here. You probably already know this if you've been following the show. The question comes up often. What's the purpose of this show? What's the why behind love and action? Well, the simple answer, we need to eliminate suffering in the workplace and help leaders to flourish. Because when we have good leaders in place, the people under their care also flourish. That is really good for business. And by the way, as an extension of the podcast, I launched a leadership development course. It's got a catchy name. Check it out on my website. It's called From Boss to Leader. And in this course, I teach the skills that you often hear on the show. Things like how to communicate more effectively, how to engage your employees to put out their best effort, and how to build a high-performing organization. So check it out. I'm taking calls right now. And I'd love to personally chat with you to see if this course may be a good fit. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on virtual training. Okay, so you've condensed uh, wise compassion into 10 principles for us to apply. And 
really make them habitual. Otherwise, what's the point, right? We want to put these things into practice. So for the sake of time, I want to uncover six of the 10. One of the principles we need to apply is to connect with empathy, but lead with compassion. Maybe you can dispel some of the confusion because sometimes people think empathy is compassion or compassion is empathy. So clear that up for us. Yeah, absolutely. And first of all, I know that you have a very global audience and terminology. You know, we can use the same words for different things, and especially in a global culture where we might have people that use words differently. So it's important to be able to understand what we're talking about. And from our perspective, we work with neuroscientists, leading neuroscientists who look at the experience of empathy. And what the science says is that when I experience empathy, which is a beautiful human emotion, it's when I can feel somebody else's pain or feel somebody else's joy. So I feel with somebody else. Now, this is critical for us as leaders. You know, a leader that doesn't resonate with their employees is not going to be a leader that creates connections or a sense of belonging, which are so critical in today's environment. But the key thing is, is that we all need to be aware is that ability to be able to connect with how another person's feeling has some downsides. We know that we connect more with people that look like us than people that don't look like us. So that's a problem from a diversity and inclusion perspective. We know that we also can empathize more with one person than with the team. We know that empathy is fleeting. We'll empathize today, but not necessarily care tomorrow. But most importantly, and I think that this is so critical for leaders today, is that empathy can lead to empathetic burnout. We can care so much that then we get stuck and we can't do anything. So the key thing is connect with empathy, but make sure that we can step back from that experience of empathy, which is actually shifting to another part of our brain, which is really cool, is when we can have that rational perspective, looking at things from the long term by asking the question, how can I be a benefit? Which is when we can actually experience and lead with compassion. Okay, so you're basically saying that to overcome this possibility of allowing empathy to hijack our brains, we counter that with acting more in compassion to to kind of offset this, you know, this this need to be more empathetic and, you know, meet people's needs, et cetera, on on an emotional feeling level, right? Because like you said, you do too much of that, you know, a week from now. And by the way, I... Uh, this has happened to me in, in community space where there is so much need in a community. And I am one of those guys that I got to put on Mr. Fix-It hat and try to solve everyone's problems, right? And then, you know, after a few weeks of doing that, because we're in trying times, this was, you know, back in 2020 when we're all freaking out. But what happened is I didn't I didn't realize that I was experiencing my own symptoms of burnout from trying to be so empathetic. This is what you're talking about. And now my approach is more of like, okay, yeah, I get how you're feeling. Thanks for sharing. Um, what can we do about this? Help me to help you get over this hump. And I think the other thing is that critical for us as leaders is there are some problems we cannot fix. And if we get caught into, you know, that Mr. Fix-It mode that you described, which I think is so common for us as humans and as leaders, is wanting to fix everybody's problems. But right now, there's there's a lot of problems we can't solve. We can care. We can be present. We can be compassionate. But we need to be able to step back and and sometimes stepping back is is actually doing nothing at all to be able to, you know, we got to give them space to be able to work these things out themselves. 
That can be very compassionate. Compassionate action can be no action, so long as it's with wisdom. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, uh, that's going to be in my show notes for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jacqueline, here's another one. Before we lead others with compassion, we need to first learn to lead ourselves with compassion. And this is the principle of your oxygen mask first. Walk us through that. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is so, so, so important. We cannot be, we all know this, um, but, you know, the analogy is obviously from, you know, when you get on a plane, uh, when we, now that we can travel again, um, is, you know, being able to put our own oxygen mask before we can help others. And this is critical for us as leaders. And it was absolutely uh, borne out in the data, but I don't think you need data to know that when you are not getting the sleep that you need, you're not getting the exercise, you're not feeling your best self, you are not the best leader. Nobody wants to work for a grumpy boss. You cannot be a good, wise or compassionate leader if you are not making sure that you're taking care of yourself. Perfect. And speaking of not getting enough sleep, okay, I'm totally with you on this one. I believe that overwork is is glorified in in many work cultures. You know, I think Elon Musk, right, going I don't know how many days straight without sleep, and 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 now being busy is sort of a a badge of honor. So you call this principle busyness kills your heart. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's it is it's it is so funny how we have grown up in this culture now where if I were to say to you, you know, if you asked me, Jacqueline, how are you doing? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I've got lots of space, nothing to do, you know, all the kind of time on my hands. You would probably say, hmm, she's not a very productive person because you're so used to everybody saying, oh, I'm so busy. I've got so much on that busyness is now a badge of honor. But what we know is that busyness does not equal productivity. I can have a lot of things to do doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing the right things. And oftentimes, especially what we've seen post-pandemic or wherever we're at now, is most of us have more meetings, more texts, more things on our to-do list, but we're not being more productive. So we've created more time that we're spending and getting overwhelmed, but we're not necessarily taking a really critical look of what's most important. And certainly when it comes to our people, that should be our priority. And if we're not focusing on our people, that's when busyness can actually get in the way of us being able to be the best leader that we want to be. Wow. Okay. So give us some some practical strategies of tips. So how do we overcome busyness? Because I'm talking, this is right up you guys' alley. This is mindset stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it really is, you know, what the invitation, I think, specifically is to take a pause. Like even we could do that right now, just pause and just to notice how busy is your mind? And if mm -hmm. you feel like your mind is a little bit of a hamster wheel and you've got so much going on, you know, the invitation is to say to yourself, is that really helping me to be the best version of myself? And is there an alternative? And the alternative is to still be productive and focused and results oriented, but have a calm mind that's more clear that you can say, okay, if I've got 10 things that I need to get done today, and realistically, I can only get seven of them done, that I focus on how I'm going to get the seven done, and I stop thinking about the three that I can't do. So it's, you know, it's, it's really relentless prioritization, but clarity of mind so that I can be more present, more calm, and more focused. Mm. So you propose this, which I think is really, really amazing, and this idea that we now need to start valuing busylessness over exactly. busyness. Walk us, talk, talk, 
Yeah, unpack that for us. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a crazy idea. Maybe it won't catch on. I don't know. But it's essentially saying that wouldn't it be amazing if we valued, you know, the time that people can spend going for a walk, you know, or or looking out the window or or, or taking a break and a real break, not just a break where they're on their phones and then catching up on all the news, which, again, creates more busyness in the mind. But wouldn't it be amazing if as a culture that we valued our downtime as a restorative opportunity for us to be able to show up as a better version of ourselves? And that's really what we say in terms of valuing busy listeners. Yeah. And as you know, as as much as I'm I'm uh, I'm all for uh, devices helping us to be more more functional and more productive. It's also creating this culture of busyness where you can't sit anywhere. Now you go to a restaurant, sit down, there's a family of six and they are all with their faces down scrolling. And you, we can't even be, we, we can't even value being with family and loved ones. In other words, not being busy because we're still strapped to our devices, which means that we're still busy. We're still have that. Our minds are racing because we're like, you know, we're maybe suffering from FOMO. We got to find out what's going on with the latest whatever. Well, and let me let me actually put a warning label on it because it's more than just suffering from FOMO. It actually is from a neurological perspective. We are addicted to busyness because every time we get a ping, you know, we get a, you know, our, our, a vibration on our device or a new email, we get a little dopamine hit that says, oh, you're important or somebody wants something from you. And that makes us feel valued. And that makes us kind of keep on wanting to go back to the slot machine where or, or we do have FOMO, but it's even the same thing. It's like addicted to having to know everything. And it's like, really, do we really need that? And so the opportunity, and it is really hard. You know, a lot of times, a lot of leaders say to me, you know, Jacqueline, I just can't sit still. And I get it. You know, we're in our lives. We're inundated. These are challenging times. But my question is, but do you think, and it's trainable, do you think that there would be benefit? I know it's hard, but would there be benefit in just creating a little bit more space in your life and a little bit more space in your mind? Because I guarantee you that you will be able to be more productive if you're actually able to be less busy. That's my promise. And that's truth. What you just said speaks to me because I have seen how much more productive I am when I actually turn off my devices, when I need focus time, especially when I'm writing, right? And uh, But also when I'm in my moments of meditation, I, I just, I kill everything off. And because I need to, I need to focus on being present in the present moment uh, and gather my thoughts and just have time to think. I need time to think. And I can't do that if I'm constantly bombarded with notifications. Well, exactly. The other thing, just again, from a neurological perspective, what we know is that, you know, our greater awareness is much bigger than what's front and center in us. And and that's why when we and, you know, for anybody, you know, if you've ever had like a really creative moment, well, all of us have. But most of the time, it's not when we're sitting in front of our computer. You know, our creativity comes when we go out for a walk or number one answer is when we're in the shower. It's when we stop thinking that we tap into our greater awareness and then we can be more creative, we can have greater wisdom, we can be more intuitive. So it really is so important and it's counterintuitive, but it's something that, that you and I are both both supportive of changing our yeah, culture. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, here's another one. Most of us don't like confrontation, but the reality is that 
making hard decisions often means that people are going to disagree with you. So walk us through the principle that you call courage over comfort. Yeah, exactly. So again, from a neurological perspective, we are comfort seekers. Some of us are at different levels on that spectrum, but we all essentially, nobody likes to hurt other people's feelings and nobody likes to be seen as a jerk. At the end of the day, though, that courage requires us to step into those social uncomfortable situations and be able to to take the social risk, which is really tough for us to be able to say, you know, give somebody tough feedback or ask somebody to do a task they don't want to do or all of those things that we need to do as leaders. And that's why it really does require courage. And for us, you know, the key definition of courage is to feel the fear. Like, don't deny it. It's there. It's real. And do it anyway, because that's what we need to do as leaders. But recognize it, name it to tame it, and really be able to, to embrace the fear and then walk forward because we can't we can't sit in the comfort zone. Yeah. And I tell them whenever I coach leaders, I actually tell them that you have to be you have to fight against the 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 counterintuitive thing called vulnerability sometimes or radical transparency, because that's where the truth does come out and people need to hear the full truth. And so and the reason I say that is because it takes an immense amount of courage to be able to get to that point where you see vulnerability as a leadership strength and not as, as a weakness. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, I got, okay. So I got two more. And uh, this one is, uh, I think, kind of relates to the last one. Why is compassion means balancing candor, right? being direct with people with that caring side of leading. Now, this is tough. This is tough because it's it's such a delicate balance. So, you know, you call this the principle of direct is faster. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the key thing here is exactly as you said, you know, Caring candor, the reason why the care is so important in front of that is because it's not about, you know, brutal honesty or it's not about saying everything that you need to say or, you know, it's really about being really thoughtful about what is the message that I need to deliver to this person and how can I deliver it in the best way possible. But one of the key things that we found, and this really came out in the stories of the leaders that we talked to, is so often they would get in a trap of, you know, trying to wrap, like if they were getting into the conversation, they would they would kind of wind their way into the conversation. And the person is sitting there having no idea what the conversation is about, just creating a lot more anxiety. And then when they finally, you know, dropped the, the bomb or whatever it was, it became a very difficult conversation because the person wasn't prepared. So the idea of direct Ooh. is faster. Letting people know up front, look, this is what we're here to talk about. And I know it's going to be a difficult conversation, but it's important that we have this conversation and I'm here for you. I care about you, but this is what we're going to talk about. And now let's work through it together. And it's also one of the things just very interesting. I know, again, that it's a, a global audience is we did find there are cultural differences and we have to be sensitive to that being, you know, caring candor in Japan is very different than in Amsterdam is very different in London than it is in New York. But nevertheless, um, the principle still applies. Yeah. So you're saying there's wherever you you are in the world, that there's still this overarching principle that you, you need to deal directly with people. The approach may be differently, but the principles are the same. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. So I want to end with your last principle to kind of bring us full circle. If we're going to make doing hard things become eventually easy, 
so that, you know, these difficult conversations and these moments where you need to step up with courage aren't really so difficult after all, if you put it into practice. So the only way, and I just said it, the only way to do that is through practice. And this is what you call um, the principle of the only way out is through. Yeah. 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 Walk us through that. Yeah, well, I, I'll just I'll start with a little story. Just one of the interviews uh, well, with all the interviews that we did, you know, CEOs of global companies, uh, CHROs. And one of the things that we asked them, in addition to what's the hardest thing that you ever had to do, but do it in a heart, in a human way. The other thing that we asked them is, why did you agree to do this interview? And every leader that we spoke to said, because doing hard things is hard. And I'm always trying to learn how to get better. And it was really inspired by that idea that as much as, you know, the only way that we can really learn how to get better is to step into the fire. And we found, oh, that hurt. That didn't work out and get feedback and be humble about it. And it's only through continuous learning and being vulnerable, as you talked about, which is so critical, that we then can learn and that we can get better the next time and we can get better and better and better. And the cool thing, I think, for all of us is, you know, it's an ongoing learning journey. And if we're open to it, it's like it's endless possibilities in terms of continuing to be able to refine our skills to show up as the best version of ourselves. That's great. Okay, Jacqueline, what do you ultimately hope people take away from this book? Yeah, I think I think the inspiration that um, that we can be both hard and human, we can focus on results and care. And ultimately, not only is that better for ourselves, uh, for our people, but also for our business. Perfect. All right. As we wind down here, I pose to you the leadership love question. It's a new tradition on this show since the last time you were here. So of all the ideas discussed, or maybe something that we have not even covered yet, or perhaps it comes from my, the mind of the leader. In your own words, how do leaders lead with love day in, day out? Yeah, yeah, I love that. I do love that question. And I would say we are not alone. Fundamentally, phone a friend, you know, reach out. You can reach out to me. You can, you know, connect with others. We have all experienced such an extreme amount of challenge and change over the last two years. We need to find ways to be able to connect with each other because it's through our connection. Human beings can tolerate a lot of challenge the way that we we are stronger together. And we need to continue to apply that and really be able to support each other, learn from each other, care for each other. That is my message. And that is my hope for uh, for all of us going forward, because there's going to be more challenge and change ahead. I don't think it's going to get easier to be a leader in the future. I'm mm. sorry, but I think that's true. Yep. Yep. Truth. OK, so before I um, bring in our final two questions, I, I don't want to leave any important stone unturned. Is there any question I should have asked but didn't that we must absolutely touch on? I think that for me. I am really concerned. You had this in your intro. I am really concerned about leadership and, and leaders today. What we see is the level of stress and pressure and burnout. It has never been higher at any point during the pandemic. We've been measuring it on an ongoing basis. And I would just say, you know, I think that I think that to really, really look at how we're taking care of ourselves first. So getting back to that, putting your own oxygen mask on first. 
I really think that's so important and just really want to really encourage everybody, you know, following this talk, you know, go for a walk, uh, do some, you know, connect with a friend, um, do something that that is really may seem selfish, but at the end of the day is selflessly self-serving so that you're taking care of yourself so then you can take care of others. Perfect. All right. We bring it home with two questions. Here we go. Personally, what is really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Huh, yeah, that's such a big question. I really, um, I'll say one thing that's really tugging at my heart is certainly, um, you know, what we see uh, globally, the amount of uh, of struggle and suffering in the world, whether it be what's happening in Ukraine or, you know, the, the impact of, uh, you know, social unrest. Um, and uh, and also the climate is really all tugging at my heart. And uh, and again, I think, though, that what gives me hope um, is that, uh, you know, people are interested in a podcast like yours and and the idea of being able to spread love. And uh, and that just continues to inspire me in the face of so much, so much challenge and so much pressure ongoing pandemic um, that uh, that there's so many of us that believe in in connection and care and ultimately in love. So that's what uh, that's what what does it for me. Nice. And finally, you get to bring us home your way with a closing remark or something to keep us inspired. I would just like to thank you uh, for doing this. I think that it's a wonderful podcast. It was great to be on it the first time. Great to be here again and just thank all of your listeners. I know you guys are all busy. I hope you don't keep talking about how busy you are after our talk today. Um, but I just want to really thank everybody for taking the time, you know, being able to to learn from each other and being able to to enjoy a, a session like this um, really so shows your commitment to to your own development and your curiosity. And I just want to applaud that. So just deep bow of gratitude to you, Marcel, and to your listeners. I take it in with all my heart and I'm honored by that. And thank you so much. And, you know, we are informed. These are podcast hosts and the people that, that write for a living and that even that coach and speak like me, we are informed by people like you who are in the trenches, finding out the hard facts for us that informs our work. So, I mean, I am equally grateful for what you do as well. The book, again, is called Compassionate Leadership, How to Do Hard Things in a Human Way. You know, we only covered six of the 10 principles that came up in the data. Please pick up this book, get the whole shebang. And it's all chock full of strategies and, um, and and things to help you overcome those very things that keep us from doing the hard work that we do as leaders. So that wraps it up. And uh, and Jacqueline, if people want to connect with you, uh, point them to a couple of places. Absolutely. So you can find us, our website, uh, Potential Project, www.potentialproject.com. And you can also connect with me directly on LinkedIn. Give me any feedback. I'm being very vulnerable about it and, and always open. So Jacqueline Carter on LinkedIn. And uh, thanks again, everyone. Thank you, Love and Action Tribe, for joining this conversation. You can keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag Love in Action Podcast. And look for my show notes on my website, marcelschwantes.com. And finally, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread this Love in Action movement globally. If you have an interest, reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love in Action Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.